What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Vinny Tortorich on the line today. I've had several people recommend that I get him on the show. He's got a best-selling book. He's got a movie coming out, celebrity trainer, all kinds of interesting things. So without further ado, how are you, Vinny? I'm doing great, Robert. How are you? I am wonderful, man. I am wonderful. So a lot of people in the space have heard heard your name. They've seen your content. But can you give the audience a little little background, a little bio kind of on what brings you to the space and, and what the beginning is, so to speak? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't really want to do any of it, to be honest with you. Um, I, I was a, a trainer here in L.A., um, you know, amongst many trainers. Uh, I, I would like to say I was lucky because I trained a lot of celebrities, but I don't know if that's actually a luck move. Um, mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I would say it's an unlucky move if, if you get into that space. <clears throat> and um, so I was there. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, because of that, once you train a lot of celebrities, you get to know a lot of people. <clears throat> and the first thing people start saying to you is, you should write a book. You should write a book. And, you know, some of the bigger co book companies came after me and said, hey, we want a book. And what they really wanted was they wanted me to dish on my clients. And I refused to do that. I, I don't think it's fair that these people invite you into their homes. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We think of celebrities as they don't count. Their feelings don't count. Who they are don't count. But they're real people, you mm -hmm. know. And um, you know, uh, you know, I couldn't imagine <clears throat> running into any of these celebrities at Facebook after a book came out where I was talking about how they clipped their toenails, you know, and, and you know everything they did in their life, you know, because that's basically what they want to hear, mm -hmm. right? And I said, I, I can't do it. I can't. And they were offering me a ton of money to do all this stuff, right? And uh, I kept saying no. And, and I kept feeling like the stupid guy because every time I would see another tell-all come out, I would go, wow, I could have made millions. Oh, my God. But somehow my mom taught me better than that. My dad taught me better than that. And uh, then when my buddy, Dean Laurie, who people might know, he's a producer, director, and mostly a writer here in Hollywood, um, shows like Arrested Development and um, My Wife and Kids was one of his shows. And uh, he, he wrote Major Pain and it, it goes on and on. <clears throat> Dean kept telling me, you need to write a book. And I mm -hmm. kept saying, no, I do not need to write a book because I don't want to talk about my clients. And he said, what if you just wrote a book and don't mention your clients? Just talk about how you got these people in shape. He said, because you have this way to get people in shape that no one is paying attention to. And by the way, this was long before the world knew what the word keto was or ketogenic diet. You know, no one was really paying attention to Atkins. But I was one of these early adapters 20-something years ago who would take people off of starches to not only get them to lose weight, but to get all ripped up and look good and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So my thing around Hollywood was known as NSNG, no sugars, no grains. And for short, my clients were, can I eat that? I would go, NSNG, does it have sugars? Does it have grains? If the answer is no, you can eat it. And, you know, that was my easy kind of shortcut to people. 
So when I wrote the book, I wrote the book and, and described No Sugars, No Grains and the beginning of NSNG, which a lot of people call paleo now or, or <laughs> keto or Atkins or low carb or whatever you, you want to call it. So that's, that's the elevator pitch if the elevator went up to 35 floors. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I want to kind of dive in here. So you started off with, with, with training. I'm assuming you didn't jump automatically into celebrity training. How did you kind of, how did that progress, progression start? How did you go from just training to celebrity training? Um, um, short answer is accident. Uh, <laughs> you know, everyone wants to know that. It's like, how did you end up? You know, I don't mention all the all of the celebrities, but Howie Mandel and I became good friends. And so I always, you know, people, how did you end up? You moved from Bayou in Louisiana and you train you trained Howie Mandel and you train, you know, all the, you know, names way bigger than Howie, actually, you know, when you think about it. But I don't mention my client list. Mm -hmm. um, I was at the beginning of training period when you know, in-home training, it was just called in-home training. There was no word, the, the name personal trainer didn't exist. That's how long ago I started. Uh, I was back in the early 80s. Um, you know, there were gym rat trainers who would just hang around a gym and toss them five bucks and they'd show you how to do an arm curl or something. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the concept of having a guy going into your house, uh, I had a degree in exercise physiology and a, deg a degree in nutrition. So I was kind of like the, the double threat, and I started this business down in New Orleans after I graduated from Tulane. I was also teaching um, strength and conditioning over at Newman School. At the same time, that's where the Manning brothers went, the, the famous quarterbacks, mm -hmm. um, and they were there at that time. So I was kind of like Johnny on the spot down in New Orleans, and I was the only guy down there teaching fitness and health and they used to call me Vinny, the exercise guy. You know, personal trainer was not a term, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And I was down there doing that for about six years. You know, the, college, I was doing some of it in college, but six years after college. And, you know, I kept, you know, doing television down there. The NBC affiliate would use me for stuff. The ABC affiliate would use me for stuff. And I ended up getting my own talk radio show on um, – on WSMB, and that kind of became a hit. And <clears throat> people started saying to me, you're wasting your time here. You should be doing this in LA where you could get it out to the whole world. And mm -hmm. um, that's that's how I ended up in LA. Very interesting. And then when you when you got to LA, like a lot of people probably go to Hollywood and LA and they're just like, they have these huge dreams and aspirations. And then, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of guitars and stuff in pawn shops there. So what what a what a people like what happened when you got there like what was, did you have like a breakthrough moment or did just the reputation you built in New Orleans kind of carry you through and give you some momentum to to get yourself established there? You may have just asked the best question I've ever been asked in an interview, so thank you. Um, because no one ever does that, you know. Uh, <laughs> so many people don't know how to interview people. Thank you, Robert Sykes, for knowing how to interview someone. No, um, it, it was humble beginnings. Um, I knew I would have to get here and try to get get on the ball pretty quickly because LA is expensive. You know, I'm an independent contractor. I, I, I was working as a trainer. I had all the clients I needed in New Orleans. But the day I got in that car and started driving, my income stopped dry. And um, you know, before, you know, anyone who you know, any of my clients who actually knew anyone in LA, I had them call those people ahead of time. 
And I had, I think, a list of 32 different names. And, you know, being a Southern bumpkin, I didn't really understand how the world worked. So I got here, and this was before the days of cell phones. This was almost 30 years ago. And I, I, I called everybody on the list. You know, and these people said, yeah, we're expecting this call. Have him call us as soon as he gets to town. We can help him out. Out of everybody awesome. I called, if they picked up the phone, if I left a message with their assistant or the maid or whoever was at their house, they said, yeah, I'll give them the, the they'll call you back. Mm -hmm. And if I actually got them on the phone and said, hey, it's Vinny, and they'll go, Vinny who? Hey, you know, my friend Pixie from New Orleans said to call you. Oh, yeah, Vinny, look, I'm just running out. Let me call you in a few hours. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was odd that everybody in L.A. was, if I got them on the phone, they were always just running out. You know, that's the way they get you off the phone in L.A. 25 years ago before we had, you know, caller ID and all that, where people had to pick up the phone. Right, so right. I went, wow, it seems like everybody's just running out no matter what time of the day you call them. <laughs> so um, no one called me back. And I was persistent. I called everyone a second time. And again, same sort of deal, just running out. One guy invited me to lunch. And uh, he was the guy who ran the Hotel Bel Air. And mm -hmm. he invited me to lunch at the Hotel Bel Air. And he, he, the Hotel Bel Air, that's where celebrities like Tom Cruise would go to kind of get away for the weekend from their mansions where people can photograph them and stuff. They would go hide at the Hotel Bel Air. And he invited me to the Hotel Bel Air. I thought it was pretty, pretty heady because I'm sitting at a table and the first lady, Nancy Reagan, is sitting at the next table. You know, that, I'm like, oh my God, that, that, that was Nancy Reagan. And I looked around, there were celebrities <laughs> everywhere, right? And he invited me there. He bought me lunch just to tell me that there was nothing he could do for me. Now, this is a man who knows Nancy Reagan. This mm -hmm. is a man who knows Tom Cruise. They're on first name basis. And he's there to tell me he knows no one and he could do nothing to help me, period. Quite right? the shocker for you. Yeah. So that's when I realized nobody in LA is going to do anything for you. And it was, it was pretty scary. I didn't know where to go and what to do. So I basically, this is the part that's hard to believe. I became a model. Um, I never thought I was a good looking guy. I never thought... But in LA, if you have good looking body parts, they, that's good enough. Yeah. And back then, my abs were considered incredible and my hands were, got a lot of work. I was a hand model and kind of a, a body model and did a lot of commercials out here. Mm -hmm. um, and I looked at that and went, okay, I'm 30 years old, I'm 29 years old. I'm 30, you know, I was around that age. There's no way this is going to hold out very long. I, I didn't even know how it was working at all, but it put money in my pocket. And every time I got a commercial or a shoot or anything, I would talk it up. I would say, hey, this is what I do. If you guys know anyone that needs to lose weight and the whole thing. And that's kind of how I got my first training client. Um, Love it, man. Hustling. Yeah. And look, it was, the back, it was the backwards way. Everyone comes here and tries to become a trainer nowadays so they can become a model. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I became a model in order to become a trainer. Um, so that's how that worked. The cool thing about that is I started picking up a few clients and I was training them for almost free just to show them what I can do. 
Mm-hmm. Some people, 15 bucks. Uh, one lady, 25 bucks. Um, and then I ended up getting this guy at Playboy. Uh, his name was Victor. And Victor was my first real client. He was a VP of something at Playboy Corporation. And I uh, started working with him. And there was a lady at Playboy named Dana. And Dana was probably wider. She was also a VP. She was probably wider than she was tall. And um, she, even though she made good money and she was a VP, she was divorced and she was putting a daughter through college. She didn't have a lot of extra money. And mm-hmm. I said, Dana, what can you afford? And she says, I can afford $25 a session. Now, mind you, when I was in New Orleans, I was charging $100 a session in a much cheaper place to live. Mm-hmm. And now here I am charging people 25 50 75 bucks. And Dana, uh, she paid me $25 and saw me three or four days a week. And I would show up for free on other days to work with her and to make sure she kept her diet on track. And she lost like 175 pounds. Wow. She looked great. And the people at Playboy started looking around going, wait a minute, hang on. This guy is a genius. We have playmates that after they become playmates, they start gaining weight. And that's not good for business. You know, when you send them off to Cinco de Mayo or you send them off to Vegas for the weekend to be the head of a party and the whole thing, you know, they need these girls to look sharp. Mm -hmm. So that was my entree into, I guess you could say class C celebrities or class D celebrities, you know, playmates. Mm-hmm. But playmates back then used to date real celebrities. I guess right. they still, you know, but, you know, look, if you're a big time celebrity, you look in Playboy magazine and then you call your agent and go, I want to date that girl. That's the way, before the Me Too movement, that's just the way it worked, right? And that's how I ended up getting real celebrity clients. I went from a VP to playmates to actual, you know, A-list celebrities. You know, that's... An incredibly respectable man because there's so many people in this day and age that are trying to, you know, branch out and make a name for themselves in business with their brand. And they try and go straight to the top of the totem pole and they don't put in like the work that it takes to get there. And they have no reputation. They have no, they have no momentum. So like, you know, going down and and working with whatever you can, whoever you can, and just, you know, hustling like that. Like I have utmost respect for that because with the the way the world works, Somebody knows somebody knows somebody, and it all comes back around and, and gets you where you want to go. Yeah, and look, I mean, I'm a guy, like I said, I was making a really good income in New Orleans. I had life by the balls, as they say. And when I came to L.A., I went back to zero. As a matter of fact, um, I don't think I've ever mentioned this in an interview, but I, I was trying to make money any way I could. And I, I went with someone to a a bar one night, it was like a bar restaurant kind of, you know, sports bar. You were watching the big screen TV when big screen TVs meant something. <laughs> and um, I, there was a guy working the door. And when I, I worked the door when I was in college. And I said, hey, man, um, you like working here? And he goes, yeah. I said, you think they, they need another doorman on off nights when you're not here? He goes, man, they're always looking for a doorman. And I, I did that for a couple of months, you know, went mm-hmm. two or three nights a week. I just went and made a couple of extra bucks sitting on the door, you know. I love it. So I worked night and day when I moved. I, I, you know, that, the modeling, the hand modeling, you know, all of it just happened. 
Now, that's that's incredibly cool, man. Like I love the rags to riches, so to speak, stories. Or just just watching people's progression from where they started to where they are now and where they're going. Like you can, you can learn a lot about a person based off of what they're willing to go through. So hats off to you for that. Well, thanks. What about um, so your your no strings, no sugar, or no grains, no sugars? Um, that whole approach. How did you happen onto that? That was something that you were doing in New Orleans, then brought with you to. LA, but where did the transition to doing that came from in the first place? Um, you know, some of it came, you know, I remember back in the seventies, you know, cause I was always interested in the body. I was always interested in, and, in, you know, lean body mass because I was an athlete. I, I, I went to school on a football scholarship and, and, you know, I was always, I was a middle linebacker. So it was like, you know, I want to have mass, but I don't want anything that jiggles because that's just like carrying around a backpack, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not functional weight. And I started working out with weights when I was literally 1970. I was eight years old. And, and I used to work out with a lot of these old bodybuilders and they were never trying to have, they wanted to put on lean muscle mass, you know, that, that, that's nothing new. And mm-hmm. they would eat a lot of protein. So I knew that protein was how you build muscle, you know, even before I had an education. And they would always try to shy away. They would eat meat with fat, but when, whenever they wanted to rip up and cut up, I noticed that they would cut out potatoes and they would cut out rice, that, rice and pasta and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And they would get really lean and really ripped. And I remember reading about Dr. Atkins, the early days of that. And then when I went to college, a professor in my freshman year said that the body's preferred fuel is the most efficient fuel in the body is fat. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember jotting that down on my notepad. I went, oh, fat, efficient body, you know, energy from fat. Oh, what a concept. And then he said, um, a couple of weeks later, we were talking about aerobic conditioning. And he was like, yeah, whenever you do any kind of aerobics, you need a lot of carbohydrates. And I raised my hand and said, wait, weren't we talking about fat? What, what happened? What am I missing? It was like, yeah, fat is only good to a degree, and then you need carbohydrates and uh, because fat can't convert to energy fast enough or something. He mm-hmm. kind of hem and hawed his way through it as if he didn't really know what it was. And I just remember it over the years watching Atkins, and then in the late 80s, early, somewhere in the 90s maybe, I, I can't remember, <clears throat> I started finding out about Stephen Finney and what he was doing with, you know, with fat and Jeff Volick. And just started playing around with it a bit, you know, but I would always tell my clients, look, you know, this is how we lose weight. But then all of a sudden I had clients who want to run marathons. So I would put those people on higher amounts of carbohydrates. And, you know, it was just a messing around and trying to figure it out. But the one thing I knew for sure was whenever Hollywood would send me someone under contract and say, this actress just had a baby and she's got... 25 pounds to lose, we're shooting in a month, I would immediately put them off of every starch I could possibly get them off of and just have them eating protein. And whenever they would start to feel bad, I would always say to them, bro, a little extra fat, put some olive oil in there, have this, have that. So I started playing around with it. So by accident, I was one of the early adapters to figuring out that's how, you know, and by the way, the word ketosis was a dangerous word back then. And 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, back in my day, if you were an anorexic, you had ketoacidosis and ketones are bad, you know. So that word wasn't even bantered about. It was just go low carb and, you know, you will lose the weight. It was pretty simple. And if you started feeling bad, add in a little fat and it worked. Gotcha. So gotcha. It was just, it, it was literally a 20 something year meandering of, <laughs> of playing around with, with people and figuring it out. Were, were the celebrities pretty receptive to the idea of removing carbohydrates because they're probably just inundated with the, the media saying you have to have carbs for energy? Do they think you were crazy? Um, some of them did. They were worried about cholesterol more than anything else. But the way they look at it, the celebrities, what people don't realize about celebrities is that they're the most competitive, hardworking people in the world. You know, we could sit here and we go, oh, the Kardashians. Well, what do they do? They don't even do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. But they've amassed billions because they wake up early in the morning and they don't go to bed at night. They just work around the clock. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why the Kardashians are the Kardashians. And all celebrities are like that. People, you know, Tom Cruise does whatever it takes to be Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. If they tell him to gain weight in the movie, he will gain weight. If they tell him to lose weight, I mean, look at Robert De Niro over the years. Within one movie, uh, Raging Bull, he gained weight and lost weight. A ton of weight, yeah. right? So celebrities will do what it takes. They don't care. So they'll look at it and go, okay, I will do this for six or eight weeks or three or four months, and then I could just go back to eating my vegan diet or whatever else. But right now, I got millions of dollars to make. So it was kind of, I, I had a receptive audience even if they didn't believe in me long term, they believed in me long enough to collect the check. Right. Makes sense. Huh. There's, there's, I don't know, this is fascinating to me because, you know, for, for celebrities, movie stars and whatnot, they, their ideal image, so to speak, changes so drastically from, you know, one movie to the next or it can train, change so drastically. So like for me, I'm looking at the ketogenic lifestyle, like the, the low carbohydrate lifestyle is like a like a lifestyle, you know, I'm doing this in a sustainable fashion over the years, but for them, it's like, they'll, they'll do whatever drastic thing they need to, you know, as the movie calls for it kind of, you know, like I do a competition prep for a bodybuilding show, but it's so different because I mean, how long does a typical time on set for a specific movie generally last? Like how long is a, a typical client relationship for you? Um, usually if, and I don't do it anymore. Now they do movies much quicker like movies will be shot because of budgets in 20 days or 25 days or what have you. They've, you know, because of cameras and, you know, a lot of stuff being streamlined, they could do a lot of different things. <clears throat> but a lot of times I would get a call like if, if an actor was, you know, they were in a movie where they had to play an AIDS patient and they just got off the set of, I'm just making this up, this didn't happen. They just got off the set of 300 where they had to be all beefed up. Now they have Mm -hmm. to look like they have AIDS. You know, they would call me and go, you need to get some muscle off this guy and you need to do it fast. You know, so it means a lot of aerobics. It means a lot of (laughs) staying away from the gym. Yeah. So so usually you have several weeks ahead of time. Um, The story I chronicle in my book, Fitness Confidential, is... Um, this actress who is, um, well, people have figured out who it is. is an actress named Margaret Cho, who's a comedian. And they wanted to give her a sitcom. This was back in the early 90s. 
and sitcom used to be big money, just really mm -hmm. big money. And um, Margaret, they, she, they basically said she failed a screen test. You know, she was too heavy. Nowadays, they would go, oh, you know, you know, flaunt your weight, sister, type of thing. You know, but back then it was, you know, oh, no, and Margaret has mm -hmm. to lose weight, right? So they came to me and said, look, you know, we'll give you several weeks, couple, you know, maybe a couple of months, but you need to get, you know, 35 pounds off of this woman. And I was like, wait, six weeks? Something, you know, 35 pounds? Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. And then they wrote, a, they wrote a number on a piece of paper and shoved it to me. And it was a big number and it had a dollar sign next to it. And I went, okay. You know, I felt like a whore, but I did it. And I got the 30 some odd pounds off of her and they called me back in and they said, we need to get more weight off of her. What can you do in three weeks? Her face is still too round. That was an actual conversation back then. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you guys realize she's, Korean, right? And they have big round faces. <laughs> and they said, we didn't say that. You said that. We wanted to be on record that we did not call Miss Cho a round face. I said, listen, I'm not calling Margaret anything. I'm just saying that she's got a big full face. She's of Asian descent. But uh, they gave me more money and I got more weight off of her. Margaret never had anything less than a round face and they ended up shooting the show. Mm -hmm. But you can't change what you can't change. You can only do the best you can with what you have, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I have to assume that there's so much, like there, there's a lot of unhealthy <laughs> actions done in the movie space to, to get actors and actresses to look a certain way. But, you know, as, as you the trainer, I mean, like these people that are, are writing these checks and, and sending these clients your way, they don't really have, I mean, I can't assume they have much concept as to what's natural for the human body to do. So, like, what they're expecting of you is is just kind of, I don't know, almost in, unethical in a way, you know? It, it is. Um, you know, they don't care how the sausage is packed. Um, as a matter of fact, um, on one client, I was leaving the office one day and I said, man, this is going to be tough. And um, someone pulled me aside and said, uh, higher up and said, and look, um, we'll get you all the nose candy you need. Um, so just let us know what you're going to need. And I went, no, I don't roll that way. They, they wanted to give me stimulus. They wanted to give me cocaine, mm -hmm. you know, to give the, to this person to get him to lose weight. And I said, no, you got the wrong guy. If you want to go in that direction, you, you can just take your money back right now. But I don't do that. Um, but yeah, they, they don't get it. They don't care. They'll do whatever it takes. On, on that note, I have to ask, I mean, like for me in the bodybuilding space, you know, performance enhancing drugs, steroids are, you know, they run rampant. I, I compete as a natural athlete, so I've never played around with it personally, but, you know, many of my friends do and I don't hold judgment on them. I mean, that's the decision they make, but I have to assume in the, you know, professional acting space, a lot of these people are, are using performance enhancing drugs to, to meet the demand, the time frame that they need for these, these movies, right? Sometimes they do. Um... You know, famously, you know, Stallone was caught with steroids, but nobody ever thought any otherwise mm -hmm. <laughs> that he was doing them. I don't think he does them on a on an ongoing basis, but um, it, you know, you could like when he was doing like those Rambo movies, and he was completely ripped up, and you don't have all the time in the world to work out, and you need to stay that ripped throughout the entire, um, you know, 
20 some odd days or 30 days that you're shooting, I can see where a guy like that would take a, you know, maybe get on a round of steroids, you know, to get him through. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with it. Um, I know other actors who have used them. You know, I mentioned the movie 300 and this and that and the whole thing. You know, a lot of those guys, people don't walk around looking like that. Um, yeah. And um, I'm not accusing anyone of doing anything, but there are a lot of cases where, yes, I've worked with people who admitted to me that they were also dosing with anything from Diana Ball to Decca to Andrelone, uh, any of that stuff. No one was doing any big stacks or anything um, that I know of. And if they did, then they, they weren't getting any results from it. Um, the, the thing that, go, that seems to go around in Hollywood a lot is um, uh, HGH, human growth, growth hormone, mm -hmm. which is kind of benign. Uh, again, I don't, I don't take any hormones. I don't take any bioidenticals. I don't take any you know, hormone boosting. I don't, I don't even touch DHEA for myself mm -hmm. or with any clients. Um, but, you know, some people just believe in it and there's no stopping them. So, yeah, that, that runs around pretty rampant. Yeah, this. I mean, you look at like a professional football player, for instance, that that uses that stuff. I mean, or or professional bodybuilder for that matter, and that's that's pretty much where their livelihoods coming from. So I understand, you know, I I can I can understand where the actor or actress is 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 thinking and where their headspace is. You know, if they're wanting to, you know, provide for their family, they think like they may have to go that route. But it is sad to see people think that has to be the norm in order to reach the goal. Yeah. Um... I, you know, like for for the actor who does it for six weeks, there's probably no harm, no foul. Um, for the football player who does it years on end, not so good. You know, look, I tell everybody, go look at that documentary about the 85 Bears. You mm -hmm. know, they, they were like this big celebrity team in 85. And, you know, you got the refrigerator Perry and you got all these guys muscled up and the whole thing. You know, today, most of them can barely walk. You know, mm -hmm. these guys are all crippled and the whole thing. And you look at that and you go, oh, yeah, these guys had the world by the tail. Now look at them. You know, uh, they can barely walk. They can barely move. Um, I'm glad I've never done them. I don't plan on ever doing them. Uh, but uh, and I don't really understand when people do it, you yeah, know, but yeah. they do. To each their own, I reckon. So yeah. I I'm curious, you know, you you've you've talked about your – progression to like the your approach to dieting over the years what what are some things that you've learned you know with all the with all the ketogenic research that's coming out nowadays um you know kind of the cutting edge science that's coming out have you has that changed the way you think or work with your clients or or what's what's the evolution of your protocol look like so to speak it, a lot of it just kind of confirmed what i thought um the, the one big takeaway was i was all, back in the day i was always concerned about cholesterol, because pe people would ask me back in, you know, 95, what about cholesterol? You know, and I would, well, I, I just don't know. But every time I get mine checked, it seems to be fine. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not a doctor and I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an N1 experiment. And um, every now and then people that clients that stayed with me for years on end would get their cholesterol checked and they were fine. And, uh, and then now we have research, you know, showing how we got the cholesterol thing completely upside down and backwards, mm -hmm. you know? So th there's a lot of that that, that goes on. Um, but th that, that's kind of the, the big thing for me. 
Yeah, that makes sense for sure. What what does a like a typical day of eating for you look like? Like what do you what do you consume and then what do you what's a typical day for your clients look like given the the information that you have now? Um well, I, as I said, I don't I don't get a chance to really train that many people anymore. I'm just some oldie but goodie friends who, you know, that that just kind of I can't get rid of them because we're friends. Yeah. But I don't really train many people anymore. Um my day, I could give you my daily kind of routine. I, this morning I had um, two eggs with an avocado chopped up in there and kind of did a scramble in the pan thing. Um, mm-hmm. For lunch is what I'll have right after we're done here. I'm going to have uh, nine, 10 ounces of grass-fed hamburger meat cooked in uh, beef tallow. Um, no, I'm lying about the beef tallow. Today it's going to be cooked in bacon because I also had bacon this morning and I have that rendered grease. Mm, so nice. um, I'm going to put that in the pan and cook that with that and I'm going to put a piece of cheese on it. And that's going to be lunch and dinner. Well, you know, if usually if I have red meat for lunch, I will have either chicken or fish for dinner. So I'll have fish. And that's usually where I eat a veggie. And it's usually either cauliflower or asparagus or um, or broccoli. And that's kind of my day. Um, any other calorie consumption, if, you know, I'm going to go out for a long run this afternoon. So I will take in some, um, I'll probably drink an ounce of olive oil, or I might have a coffee with heavy cream in it, that kind of thing, just to kind of, you know, top up. Uh, but most of everything I eat is completely whole food, natural stuff. I don't, you know, I don't eat anything that's that's been, you know, um, bastardized in any way. Not even, not even protein powder. You know, that's too, for me, that's way too, um, uh, processed. You know, I'm a guy who, who fought cancer and won. I had leukemia. And, um, after the leukemia, I said, I'm, I'm not ever having any kind of processed anything ever again. So, nice move. Yeah, that's just, and, and that's why I created, I, I created Pure Vitamin Club because even vitamins, uh, you know, the multivitamins are processed. And I went down a rabbit hole to figure out if you can buy these ingredients by themselves that are just unprocessed and, you know, just, you know, whole food vitamins. And that's basically what we make at my vitamin company. I created a vitamin company out of my quest not to have anything that was processed. And it's called Pure Vitamin Club? Yeah, purevitaminclub.com. Uh, if, if your listeners want to go check it out. And, and by the way, after that got up and rolling five years ago, I started purecoffeeclub.com. Same thing. Find the best coffees from around the world. You know, do minimum, any kind of processing on them. And I, I came up with the roastings myself. And uh, it's now a big deal, Pure Coffee Club. You know, and it all came out of just trying to do things in a pure way. Yeah, I think going the whole minimally processed route, I mean, if you look at the ketogenic diet, low-carb diet, and you're really wanting to just improve your health from the standard diet, if you just simply remove all the processed foods and eat, you know, quality, wholesome foods, I mean, that's going to that's gonna benefit you, like the classic 80-20 principle right there, you know, really kind of dialing in the macro ratios and whatnot, that's that's that last little percentage point. But just simply getting the crap out of your diet is going to bring you most of the benefit hands down. Yeah, I, yeah, I tell that to people all the time. You know, people will ask me things like, "Hey, man, can I have a diet soft drink?" And I was like, "No, I'd rather see you start a crack habit. I'd rather see you smoking crack than drinking diet soft drinks." You know, yeah. and I say that for a fact. I don't really mean that, but 
it's really that bad, in my opinion. No, I, I agree. I think, you know, getting back to our roots and, and keeping things simple is key, for sure. Do you have any kind of preference? I mean, it sounds based off of your meal there that, that you're, you know, you're adding some fats into your diet. Do you have any stance on the higher protein versus higher fat, uh, you know, approach to the ketogenic diet? I, I like going higher fats. When, whenever, over the years, I've, I've, when I paid attention to it really close, or closely, I should say, I would, um, I would go, okay, I'm going to dial back some of the fat and up the protein. And whenever I've done that, and whenever clients have tried to do that, um, you notice that they become lethargic, they get cranky, they're not feeling good, they start going, I really, you know, I, I didn't have cravings for months, now I want to eat something sweet, you know. So it, it you know, and, and as a matter of fact, um, uh, Dr. Stephenson, back when he did the, the Belmont study in, in the early 1900s, they tried to crank back on the fat a little bit and add in more protein, and he ended up getting sick. He and his mm -hmm. partner, you know, they were in the hospital being served so that people could monitor exactly what they were doing because they didn't believe that they were living on seal blubber out in Alaska. So they did a study where they submitted themselves to a hospital and the meals were prepared for them. And every time they cracked back on the fat, it just didn't work well for them. So uh, I tend to eat minimum 60, 65%, upwards of 70%. Um, animal fat, uh, whether it's coming from butter, heavy cream, the fat around my meat, uh, the fat and you know, the tallow that I add to my meat uh, when I eat, uh, I, I eat a ton of fat, no doubt. I, I am in favor of that approach for sure. I've I, I played around and I've experimented with both sides of the equation, you know, going the high protein, going the high fat. And for me, I'm, everything you just said, I, I experienced myself. I feel much more energetic. I feel much more optimal with the higher fat ratio, I, I get like even bloated and I just, like you said, feel tired when the protein is, is increased, even if calories are equated for, I just, I think higher fat ratio is the way to go. You know, a lot of, um, j just to <laughs> kind of capitalize on that, <clears throat> a lot of people, you know, you see these ads, you know, when men get older, their testosterone drops and they don't want to have sex anymore. I'm 56 years old and I always say I'm still fucking like a jackrabbit. You know, and, you know, when I've talked to other clients, you know, over the years, you know, my male clients, the ones that were in their early 40s, you know, I would get them eating higher fat. And the first thing they would say is, hey, man, um, I got to tell you something. Uh, I, 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 I know I'm talking to another dude and dudes don't talk about this, but sometimes I was a little flaccid in bed there. My wife was wondering what was going on, if she wasn't attractive anymore, because, man, I'm I'm back now, you know, I got it back, you know. Um, even Dr. Drew, um, Dr. Drew Penske is a friend of mine who now eats ketogenic. And he goes, look, he goes, I didn't have any problem in a bedroom. But he goes, I feel like I'm 15 again. I said, Drew, that's way more information I wanted to hear, especially since you just told me that in front of your wife. But um, <laughs> yeah, great. Good for you, you know. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And it makes total sense, biologically speaking. I mean, like, you know, cholesterol is precursor to testosterone. So, I mean, you in increase your, your good cholesterol, your healthy fats. I mean, that, that's bound to be a byproduct. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know. I, I want to dive into to one thing here. And I think, you know, you would be a great person to answer this question. But since you've seen the progression of, you know, dieting over the past 20, 30, 40 years, just how you've seen things change, what, where do you think 
things are headed, like with with the technology where it is, with all the new research that's coming out. Um, you know, you you saw how going low in grains and sugars was beneficial back in the day, but now there's just so much more information coming out, and and keto itself is becoming more mainstream. For you, what, where do you, where do you think things are going to head? Do you think we're at the apex right now of the keto popularity? I mean, I, I just really love to get your insight on this because you've seen you know so many ends of the spectrum. I think we're still at the beginning. Like when I came out with my book, you know, the book is probably six years old now. Um, I was considered a kook. People would yell and go, you're killing people. And when I started the podcast, I started the podcast before the book came. So the podcast has been out for like seven years. It's like, you're killing people. And even when, when I started getting a regular um, spot on the Adam Carolla show <clears throat> about three and a half years ago, people wrote to Adam and said, Dude, you're going to get sued because this guy's going to kill people with this stupid diet. So it wasn't that long ago where people thought the ketogenic diet would kill people. Uh, mm -hmm. And now people are at least receptive to it. And I, I know that we're making ground now because um, I get hate mail from vegans, which is a thing. Um, certain people have been attacked by vegans. I know Lear Keith has been attacked. Um, physically attacked by vegans um, to the point where I think she has a concealed carry in California, which is almost impossible to get in this mm -hmm. state. Um, and when you start seeing, you know, mainstream people like Jillian Michaels just last week came out and, 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 and took a crap on the vegan diet saying it doesn't work, you know that you're making inways into that community where they don't like that their status quo is being challenged. And they're letting us know left and right that they're mm -hmm. not enjoying this whatsoever. It's, it's exciting, though. You know, it's, it's kind of like we're on a frontier, so to speak. I mean, there's always going to be another diet. There's always going to be something. But, you know, it's pretty cool to see this causing such an uproar. But then looking at, I mean, at the end of the day, you look at all the positive success stories that have come from it. It's like I don't care who you are, or what you're saying. If you, if you look at somebody that had has had that transformation, or they've been able to spend more time with their family because their health has recovered, I mean, there's no there's no bad thing about that, you know. Yeah, yeah, there is none, and there, you know, I love that people will make up these things. They'll go, well, you know, keto is just a, another calorie deficit diet, no matter what they say. Or uh, what about you know the the uh, the, the uh, thermodynamic the laws of thermodynamics and yeah, and all this stuff that they'll throw out there that makes no sense. And the part that they leave out is, you know, we're not a car engine, so the loss of thermodynamics doesn't play in. You know, we have mm -hmm. hormones at work here, and we need to keep those hormones working in the right direction to not only get us to an optimal weight, but to feel healthy and to feel good. You know, look, I mean, I remember my parents when they were like 45 and 48 years old. My parents were never athletes, but they, were, they had gained a lot of weight by then. And I would say, hey, let's go out for, you know, we'd be on vacation. It's like, hey, there's this kind of walkabout where we could go see the da da da. And they would go, oh, yeah, we need to take a cab over. I'm like, you know, we go to Washington. It's like, no, we can walk from this monument to that. Oh, no, mama, mama can't do that. Oh, my God. And I'm like, and they were in their 40s. And, like I said, when I hang up with you on this podcast, I'm going to eat a, a piece of meat and I'm going to go running for at least 90 minutes in the hills, in the mountains. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's just today and that's every day. You know, 
I don't get why you have to hit a certain age and feel that, oh, I'm old now. I'm 56 and I don't feel old. You know, I'm, I'm going to climb Mont Blanc this summer in, in France, you know, and every summer, if I'm not doing that, and I'll probably later in the year climb Whitney again. And people go, well, why do you climb these same mountains over and over? I said, well, because, you know, I, you have to stay in shape to do it. You know, you can't mail these hikes in. These are steep hikes. You know, um, Whitney is a steep hike. Mont Blanc is steep. I've never done Mont Blanc before, but you, you can't mail these hikes in. You know, mm -hmm. you have to, in January, you have to go, wait, I need to start running. I need to start going to the gym. I need to start getting on the stair machine <clears throat> because you can't start 10 days before the hike and get there. And whatever that means for everyone, people need to do that, right? It doesn't matter if it, what it is or how it works. Everyone needs to figure out what their thing is and they need to do it. I completely agree, man. That that was, that's articulated perfectly. I feel you know, there's old age is just this, this, this number that people place on things and it doesn't have to mean anything. I mean, it's just arbitrary. Like I'm excited. I'm 27 years old right now. I'm excited for what I look like when I'm 77 years old, you know, especially knowing what I know now about nutrition and following that lifestyle. Like people, age is truly is just a number. I know people say that and they throw it out there, but it's kind of lost its weight because it's said so frequently. But if you actually dive into what that means, and then live by that. I mean, I'm excited to see people, you know, elongate the time that they can spend with their loved ones and just enjoy life personally. Just to be able to get outside and be active, you know, 30 years beyond what they thought they previously could. Like that is a huge, huge win. And it just improves life in the first place. Like how could somebody not want to learn everything they can that can lead to that and then just dive in full heartedly? You know, to that point, there was a, there was a, <laughs> A story that came about, <clears throat> I want to say a couple of weeks ago, where this 90-something-year-old man set the new speed record on a bicycle on a track. You know, oh, really? And, um, yeah, he was like, you know, but he was beating up on other, I guess, 85 to 95 or whatever the group is, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine there's a lot of people in that category. It probably didn't take him a lot to get there. But then they found the banned substance in his they, – they did a, a drug test on it. And I don't even think it was an actual steroid. It was like some other banned substance, like uh, one of these natural steroid products that's out there, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And But it was, it was in his products. And I looked at that and I said, you know, number one, I, I agree that no one should ever cheat. But goddamn, you make it to 92 years old. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about this guy going, even at 92, he's trying to see how good he could be to the point where he cheated. You know, mm -hmm. he, he was trying to get to that level. He was trying to see. And by the way, he's not really competing against that many people. If anyone, he was competing against himself and still decided, I want to see how fast I can go on this bike, even if I take something that they consider to be a banned substance. I, you know. When you think of the human condition and what people will try to do, <laughs> it's pretty amazing, you know, in my opinion. No, I, I totally agree, man. I, I Competitive people, like you were saying about the celebrities, you know, they have a, a deep ingrained belief in just beating themselves in some form or fashion every day and, and getting better. And I think that's true with, with most, I mean, with all competitors, really, like in some form or fashion, you're competing against others, competing against yourself. But the the human nature and will and desire to 
fulfill your potential is, I don't know if that is, you know, more prominent now than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, or, or what, I don't know where that trend line has, has risen or dropped, but for the people that do live by that, you know, moral conduct to always try and reach your potential, I have utmost respect for it because it takes a special kind of person to to do what's hard every day to become better. You know, and I really respect that. Yeah, you know, and I agree. I agree a thousand percent. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, why are they testing a 90-year-old guy, number one? You know, what are we doing? You know, I love that, you know, in the NFL, we have these rules where we'll say, yeah, the NFL goes, we don't tolerate drugs on at any level, no drugs. And I go, all right, so you're telling me none of these guys are doing any testosterone at all? That's BS. So mm -hmm. the fact is you do tolerate drugs. Um, you know, I would, you know, let me go around with you know, and do blood tests and urine tests and all these guys. They all show up positive. And, you know, so don't lie to me and say, oh, yeah, we have a zero tolerance, yet all of these guys are taking steroids, and what message are those guys sending? They're saying, hey, every other kid who's ever done, whoever wants to play football, those kids know that they, in order to, to be part of it or to be in it, they also have to do steroids, right? There's no other way um, because they see what's going on. Yep, I think there's, um, uh, there's, a, there's definitely a negative stigma with that, but I don't know, for me, I, I've always just prided myself in being a natural athlete because I, I want to see what the body and mind are truly capable of without any of those enhancing drugs. Like I want to see what I can do in like just this raw primitive state. You know, I think, I think there's something to be said for that. And it, it's, it's unfortunate, like we were talking about earlier, you know, people feel that they have to have that in order to, to reach any degree of success. And that's so far from the truth, but the, the sad thing is people jump into that realm before they even have any idea of what they're capable of without it. You know, they, they'll, they'll jump in and take steroids before they've even lifted in the gym for a year. So they have no idea what their body's natural potential is, especially these kids. You know, I mean, they've got, enough, they've got enough natural testosterone, you know, in their, their early, early 20s, late teens. It's like they don't, the last thing they need is additional testosterone. It's just going to shut down their hormones going forward. You know, you're absolutely right. And, you know, not to mention, you know, look, I've always, back in the day, I followed bodybuilding. Like I said, I was, I was a gym rat when I was eight. And uh, I was a guy who at one point in my life was able to bench press 400 plus pounds. And I never took a steroid. <clears throat> so it's all possible. But my favorite bodybuilders were people like um, uh, Frank Zane. Uh, mm -hmm. Frank Zane took took uh, he took steroids but if you look at the steroids that those guys took back in the day compared to what's going on now you know all these stacks and all this stuff where these guys are ruining their bodies you look at, at rodney coleman you know that that guy's he'll never walk straight again you know and, and i don't know if you ever saw that documentary on him but mm -hmm. yeah you, know, you look at him versus a guy like frank zane who just had this incredible muscle symmetry. Even though he did take steroids, he looked a certain way, you know, and, you know, it was great. It, it was just, it was, you know, th those guys and, and Zane still, you know, he's still walking upright and he's in his 70s. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know where, where the truth lies with any of it. I just stick to my guns with 
no steroids. And, I, you know, I have a photo right here in my office of my first coach <clears throat> who brought me into the gym when I was eight years old, a guy named Joe Bonadonna, who made me the strong guy that I was. Uh, Joe was my parents' age. My parents grew up with him. And uh, my parents are fat and happy. And Joe was ripped most of his life. And uh, Joe was dead before he hit his 70th birthday from, you know, just abusing steroids. He was also the guy who told me that he would never allow me to take him. He was the guy who scared me off of him. He said, mm -hmm. I never want you to become me. He goes, I, I can't stop. You know, I'm, I'm stuck. And um, he ended up killing himself on steroids. You know, that's, that's, that's crazy, man. That's, I don't know. Like that's. That speaks very loudly to to the, some of the negative consequences and repercussions that it can come from. You know, if, like like we were saying earlier, it's it's not our right or responsibility to tell people they can or can't do whatever they choose to do. But if if we can, you know, put our views out there and and at least show people what's possible and some of the you know, give them a full picture, you know, hopefully they can make an informed decision and hopefully that can be towards longevity. You know, with an emphasis on longevity instead of just an extreme size. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, can, can I can I interview you for a second? Yeah, for sure. Um, so you're a natural bodybuilder, and yes. all right. So are there there are different categories of that now, right? How does that work? So you've got different federations. You know, some federations are like the NPC. They, the NPC does have some tested shows, but for the most part, the NPC is is not tested. Just like the IFBB is not really tested. Um, the natural federations are tested. They're all smaller. Natural bodybuilding is a, it's not near as popular as a non-tested show because people want to go to see the freaks. Um, right. but yeah, all of my shows are, are tested. They're sanctioned by different various drug testing organizations, um, through, you know, urinalysis tests and they all polygraph you as well. All right. So what, what can you guys get away with as far as, do you guys take, are you allowed to take bioidenticals and how do you boost testosterone in your sport? So each federation is a little bit different. They've all got their own banned substance list, but most of my shows are the WNBF federation and that banned substance list is like, I don't know, seven pages long, man. So I, I look at that, half the stuff I don't even recognize. It's got all kinds of crazy numbers and abbreviations in there. So me personally, I don't take anything. Like I take wholesome foods. And as far as supplementation, I'll take, you know, sometimes I'll take creatine and vitamin D and fish oil. And that's pretty much it. Like, I don't even mess around with all that stuff. Yeah. You know, you're a guy like me, you know, um, people go, what supplements do you take? And I go, well, full disclosure, I, I own a vitamin company, but I take my multivitamin, I take my D and I take my um, uh, uh, magnesium. And whenever I work out, I take my ultra salt, which is basically salt. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and it's got extra, you know, it's an electrolyte. It's a balanced pH balanced electrolyte pill that I created myself. And that's all I take. And by the way, I don't take the salt when I lift weights. I take the salts when I'm running and sweating and, and the whole thing. And they'll go, okay, what else do you take? And I go, that's it. That is it. I, I don't take, of course, I don't have the musculature you have, but then again, I'm not trying to get it. I'm always trying to stay lean and you know, I, I don't want to have extra shoulders and all that because I don't want to carry that up the mountain. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I think I think keeping it simple. I mean, I get all I get asked all the time what what supplements do you need and whatnot. And honestly, like kind of going back to what we we're saying about you have to know what the body's capable of 
naturally all, all without all the additives. And if you're, I truly believe if you're, you know, training hard, training smart, training heavy, training with, you know, proper nutrition, which in my belief is the ketogenic diet with a higher fat ratio, and those foods are coming from wholesome quality, you know, single ingredient foods, then, I mean, you're set up for success right there. You don't need to overthink it. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And, um, you know, that I've kept it that way for years. You know, let food be thy healer and uh, medicine or whatever the quote is. And, and it works. It, it just works for me, you know. 100% agree. No, yeah. I'm excited for it, man. It's cool to see you doing this as long as you have and seeing such success with it. You know, even though it's it's changed and, and evolved a little bit over time, I mean, it's the basics has pretty much been there. Um, so it, it gives me that much more reassurance that, that I'm on the right path, you know, so that by the time I'm your age, I look, you know, hopefully as good as you. So it's it's cool to see that, that we're on the right road, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I hope that's a, a lesson for your listeners. You know, I know you have a big listening audience and um, I know that I can be boring. People go, oh, okay, he's not telling me anything new. Yeah, there is nothing new. The, the body's been the same for a long time. And Everybody wants to know what that one pill is that you could take. And my friend takes DHEA and I have a friend, oh, you, you know, when you mentioned, uh, uh, what did you mention a few seconds ago? Um, the monosodium. Um, um, oh, come on. You just mentioned monosodium. The, oh, uh, the creatine? Creatine. Thank you. Creatine is a monosodium, right? Yeah, yeah. If I remember my biology correctly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, creatine. Yeah. And people say, what about creatine? It's like, yeah, you get you know you get all you need from red meat, but if you want to take a little bit, like in the height of training or something, it won't hurt. Probably yeah. won't help, but it won't hurt. <laughs> you know, and if you take too much, your body stops making it. It's it's like cholesterol. If you take in too much cholesterol, your body will stop making cholesterol. So you can the you know, same with creatine. If you take in too much, your body will you know stop making it. So. I'm not sure it even behooves us to take it, you know? Yeah, keeping it simple. That, that, I mean, you can't go wrong there. People are always in a hurry to overthink something, and they overanalyze, they over-research, they just overextend in areas that aren't really bringing them any productivity, any any progress, but just sticking your head down and, and doing what, what you know works. I mean, that's, that's, that's where the results come from. Yeah, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. 100%. Well, Vinny, I can sit here and talk with you all day, man, but I, I know you got a busy schedule. you got to get that meal in you and, and run up that mountain. Um, but where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, easy place to go. Just go to VinnyTortorich.com. I know that's a mouthful. V-I-N-N-I-E, T as in Tom, O-R, T-O-R again, I-C-H. Um, or you can go check out Pure Vitamin Club, PureCoffeeClub.com. Uh, get your coffee, get your vitamins. Uh, and I have a new movie coming out called Fat, a documentary. You can go check out the trailer at fatdocumentary.com if you want to see what's coming out. And, um, you know, uh, if I ever do a fat documentary too, uh, you know, I've considered bringing athletes in, people like yourself, you know, because it, once this movie's out, we're, we're already talking about doing fat too, you know, because people are going to go, what about athletes? It's like, well, I'm mm -hmm. an athlete and you're an athlete and we're all doing it. So, uh, there, if we if this movie gets the success that we want it to get, uh, I will be calling on people like yourself to be in fat too. Yeah, just let me know, man. It'd be an honor. You got it, brother. Awesome, Vinny. Well, again, I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the time. And uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch, man. I'm looking forward to it. You got it, man. Thanks, Robert. Take care.